Glad you guys are with us and uh, welcome back or welcome to America in some cases for the very first time. Very cool uh, to hear, hear your stories. Hope you guys had a good holiday. What we're going to do is this. We're going to break up uh, the Wednesday nights this semester into a couple different blocks. We also have a Veritas forum thrown there. It'll be campus-wide that uh, we'll, we'll notify you a little bit later on. I think that's scheduled in February. Uh, that'll be on a Wednesday night. Be a really neat topic that will affect the whole campus, and so all, all people will be invited to that. But we're going to kick this off with a, a block on the life of David. And I know when you say that, you can just kind of think, well, that's kind of like David, man. I, I don't know what's that got to do with me. But you realize when you look at David's life, there's a lot of real life stuff in there that you're going to find, I believe, if you, if you dig in with it, you're going to find that there's some real practical application for your life as well as you either pursue faith or try to just try to walk out your every day with God. Now tonight what we're going to do is we're going to talk about just the early part where David is first introduced in the Bible. He's quite young. We don't know, uh, like, let's say primary school, elementary school age, anything about David at that time other than he grew up in a family that had sheep. Okay, so at the time he's introduced in 1 Samuel, he's likely early teens, maybe, adolescent, anywhere from 10 to 15 years old at this time, best guess that we know. Now, to put that into context, what's happening here is, at this time, Samuel, we're going to find David in the book of 1 Samuel, uh, Samuel is the prophet of God to the people of Israel. So God has appointed him to be the messenger, to bring the messages that God sends to his people and to help govern them a little bit in that sense. Now, up until this time, God has been the king of the Israelites, but they have been grumbling and complaining and, and telling Samuel all this time, we don't want God to be our king. We want a king like all the other people groups have, which is just a regular human person. And they grumble and they complain about it for so long. God says, you know what, Samuel, just give them what they want because I'm done fighting against them, pushing back, trying to call them to myself. If that's what they want, that's what we're going to give them. And so this guy Saul, who is described as being head and shoulders above everybody else, he looks the part, right? He is the guy and they select him. Samuel anoints him to be king. Only problem is Saul has a lot of, let's say, insecurities. He's uh, a little bit paranoid. He doesn't always do not only what he's supposed to do, he doesn't a lot of times do what God wants him to do. And so as a result, he's kind of run his course in that regard as king. And so God tells Samuel, we're going to go get somebody else. And in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, God tells Samuel this. He says, the Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. Which if you've, if you've read the story of David, you know that's a direct reference to him. Now at this point, Samuel has no idea who David is. He doesn't, it wasn't named at this point. It's just a man after God's own heart is who's going to be the next king. And so God's telling him just that. Now the instructions that God then gives Samuel is this. He's like, you're going to go, you're going to go out of town to Bethlehem. It's just a little village. It's not far from Jerusalem, actually. You can walk it in a day, no problem. Small village. You're going to go there. You're going to find this guy named Jesse. And he's got sons. And you're going to anoint one of his sons as king. Now, Jesse has eight sons. David, uh, no, Samuel does not know which one it is. As we know the story, David is the one that's going to be chosen. right? So Samuel goes. They have, a, they have a sacrifice. And they're going to have a dinner together. And he consecrates everybody. brings Jesse in with his sons. And at that time, the way you anointed a king was you poured oil over 
his head to signify this was the chosen one, right? And so Jesse brings his sons up, and Samuel takes a look at the oldest. He's going to work his way down from the oldest to the youngest, and he's thinking to himself, this is the guy. This is the one that God's going to pick, right? And then what we find in verse Samuel uh, chapter 16, verse 7 is this, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. Now, God's not rejecting Jesse's oldest son in terms of as being a human being or anything like that. He's just saying to Samuel, this is not, not the one I want. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. See, if we're not careful, sometimes the purposes that God has for us we can kind of circumvent them a little bit, right, by not just following simply what he puts in front of us. Sometimes we look at situations or people and we go, well, this is what I would want or this is what I would do, and we transfer that on to the situation or we transfer that thinking on to the person that we think might be the one. My mom um, used to get us together. She passed away a few years ago. She used to get our whole extended family together for Christmas. And she was notorious, first of all, for mixing up what your favorite Christmas gifts were. Like, she confused it. Like, they'd be like, Garrison, yours is pink socks, right? But that might have been Seth's favorite gift. And it was like, so when my mom passed away, the first Christmas we ever had was we randomized all the gifts. And then you had to figure out who they belonged to across the room as we, as we, gave, out, we gave out gifts. But she also had the habit of doing this. I have two brothers and no sisters, and when we all got married, my mom treated the three daughters-in-law as if, like, they were her own. And the boys no longer existed as far as she was concerned, right? But what she would do is get for gifts for my wife and for my brother's wives was she would pick out things for them that she liked. She's like, well, this is what I would like, so this is what I'm going to give you. Now, my mom was in her 60s and 70s, and so you can imagine, like, gals in their 30s wearing, like, pink, rose pink jackets and things like that and it just at times they just kind of look at each other going I don't know what's we're going to honor her by wearing it but so my mom would pick out things she would look at the situation and go well this is what I want so that must be what somebody else would like as well and in some ways that's what Samuel's done here he's like well this is what I would pick I would pick the oldest and so what happens if you know the story is Samuel goes down the line of all of Jesse's sons there's seven of them standing there, and every time he goes to the next one, God says, not him, not him, not him, not him. And he goes through all seven of them, and Samuel's confused because there's no more sons. And then he kind of clicks in his brain. He goes, Jesse, you got any more sons? He's like, yeah, we got that one runt. You know, and literally there's one translation that calls David the runt. He's the eighth. He's the youngest. He's out keeping the sheep. So all we know at this moment is he might stink like an animal, you know, who knows. But they go and get him, and sure enough, they bring him in, and God says, this one. And he chooses David, the man after his own heart. Now, by every measurable, God should not have chosen David. When I think of myself, I think, and, and you guys as well, by every measurable, in a lot of ways, God shouldn't choose us for anything. But he does. David was the most insignificant, the youngest of eight, in his insignificant family. Nobody knew who Jesse's family was. In an insignificant town, doing the most insignificant job you could do. Nobody of nobodies, right? What no one recognized was that God was fulfilling the most significant purpose in the history of the world through, through the most ignored and disregarded 
types of people. In this case, David. Now, before David could walk in the purpose that God was anointing him for this day, so next week David, uh, Tyler's going to be talking about preparation, right? Because what happens in life a lot of times is you get an opportunity before you, right? You know it's coming, but you're not yet ready for that moment. David's not yet ready at this moment, somewhere between 10 and 15 years of age, right, for what God is going to do in his life. And that's true about us a lot of times. We're not quite ready. David, what do we know about him? Now, if you know David's story, like if you can kind of like project out already ahead of time what he's going to do when he's the king of Israel, for example, he's going to do a lot of good things, but he's going to do some really stupid and terrible things. He's going he's to murder Uriah. He's going to murder Bathsheba's wife, who he's committing adultery with, so he can have her and her child that he's having illegitimately through her. So you might be asking yourself, what in the world? Why, how could God consider David a man after his own heart, when he knows what, this is what he's going to do down the line. Well, one thing I would say this is you never know how someone's going to respond to their failures, or you never know how someone is going to view those things inside themselves. Probably what most people were saying at this time, he's just too young, right? I don't even know at the time that Samuel pours the oil over him, if anybody really understands what David's purpose is, who he's going to be. I don't think they do. And what does it mean to be young anyway, right? Certainly there's the idea of being chronologically young. I'm in my teens or I'm in my 20s or I'm whatever age you pick it. But generally it means being the early stages of life or development. It can also mean being inexperienced, We can be young, as I mentioned, numerically or chronologically, but we can also be young in many other things. You can be young as a student. It might be new to you, right? I mentioned my oldest who's applying to colleges right now. He's going to have to learn to be a student. He hasn't had to learn yet in high school to be be a student, but he's going to have to learn real quick when he goes off to college in August. So you can be young as a student. You can be young in relationships, You can be young as a new employee after you've graduated and you take your first real job in the world. How about this one? You can be young as a driver. You remember being like a first-time driver and all the anxiety and the excitement and the learning process that comes with that. David's family looked down on him because he was young. That's why they didn't invite him to this big dinner where Samuel was going to eventually anoint him. They left him to be. Samuel was even biased when it comes to age by starting with the oldest son and working his way down, right? He didn't just look at all of them and go, okay, God, which one? He immediately goes to the oldest, who should be the one that fits the bill, right? Should be the, should be the one that I would pick anyway. David is also shunned, as we find out later, by his cowardly brothers. Armies of Israel are lined up against the Philistines, and this is the famous story of David and Goliath, And they've been apart, standing in front of each other for day after day after day, and they're scared to death to confront Goliath. And he shows up, and his brothers just chastise him for even being there, let alone investigate what's happening. And then he goes to the king, who's also cowardly, because he's scared to go out. He was not going to go face Goliath either. And then ultimately by Goliath himself, who's actually insulted that this little boy with sticks, as he calls it, comes out to him. So here's the deal. God often chooses unlikely people to do His work. You know why? So that 
all will know that the work is God's work and not ours. Think about it. We all want credit. We all want affirmation that, that we've done something good, that we are good people. But here's the other thing. God always chooses flawed people, imperfect people. Why? Because that's the only kind there are. There are no perfect people, just flawed people trying to make their way. But if we're willing and obedient, and in David's case, not easily offended, we are usable for great things, despite our age, despite our inexperience, despite the newness of it, especially if we don't care who gets the credit. And so I was thinking about this, and maybe you're thinking about it a little bit tonight. What does it really mean to be a man after God's own or a person after God's own heart? Chuck Swindoll puts it this way. He says, it means your life is in harmony with the Lord. What is important to Him, to God, is important to you. What burdens God, burdens you. When He says, go to the right, you go to the right. When He says, stop that in your life, you stop it. When He says, this is wrong and I want you to change, you come to terms with it because you have a heart for God. That's the bottom line of biblical Christianity. It's not a list of do's and don'ts, but it's saying, God, I know that you have my best interest at heart. I know that you are trustworthy, and I'm going to put everything I have, my faith in you. Here's kind of the, the last thing I want to give you, and then we're going to, I'm going to give you a couple of verses here, and then we're going to pray together as well. Youth does not disqualify you from being used by God. Right? Sometimes we sit around thinking, well, the people that God's going to use are, are well experienced, right? They're people that have been doing campus ministry for X number of years. They're the pastor in the church, or they're this or they're that. But God's just looking for willing and obedient people. So youth does not disqualify you from being used by God. Anonymity does not disqualify you from being used by God. You might feel like I'm nobody in a nowhere place, but God knows exactly where you are. And He knows exactly if you're the type of person that is after His own heart. God is not waiting for experience to happen, for achievement, for degree titles to go after your name. Okay, Those are all well and good, and earn them if you can. Okay? And he's certainly not waiting for perfection. He's looking for the willing, the obedient, and the one that believes this. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13 When you read the story of David versus Goliath, I'm not going to get into all the particulars of it. But when you read it, what you realize is David doesn't go against Goliath's Goliath in his own strength. Despite the fact that God has allowed him, according to the scriptures at this point as a young man, to kill a lion, to kill a bear, right? He could have walked in that with every bit of cockiness and, and I'm the man and whatever attitude he wanted to. But when Goliath puts him down because he's just, he realizes he's just a young man and he's small and he's young, when he does that, he says, listen, I'm not coming to you with my own strength. I'm coming to you in the power of God. This is God's fight. So he trusted that God can overcome the obstacles in front of him that are above and beyond what his capabilities are. And we need that. You know, you've, heard it, you've probably heard it said all the time, what's the Goliath in your life? It might not be a 10-foot tall, tall giant, right? But you're going to have some difficulties. You're going to have some things that are above and beyond your ability to succeed at them. 
to overcome them, to move through them in a positive way. And you're going to need God's strength. You're going to need God's anchoring. And you're going to need this attitude that I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. And here's the cool thing. Some of you need to hear this tonight, and I really mean this. Some of you need to realize tonight that God has something for you to do and someone to be specific to you, right? Not just in the big general sense of things. There's somebody you're going to walk past on campus in the next few days that God needs you to talk to. Lift them up, encourage them, take them for coffee, whatever the case may be. It might be somebody drowning in school debt that you didn't know, like, well, you're doing great in school. We had a student stay with us for a year, a couple years ago, because he was drowning in school debt. Knocking it out of the park academically, but had to take a step back. No one knew that that was going on for him. There's people that are passing us every day, and COVID has also kept that distance that we're not engaging one another and finding out where we're at. But here's the deal. Ephesians 2.10 tells us this. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You might not accept this tonight, but I want you to, I wanted to let it, I want it to sink into your mind and your heart. God had, has prepared in advance people for you to minister to, to help. Things that you need to do in the world today. And they're there for you. So as you walk with Him, as you walk in the confidence and the faith and the trust that God is going to do something through you and for you and for others, something magical happens. Man, life, it comes alive at that point, right? It's not just about that I go to my classes today and I'm good, right? Or I watch the Duke Carolina game, which we're going to all get together February 5th and watch the Duke Carolina game and, and hopefully rush Franklin Street with a victory and all that good stuff. There's more to it than that. And God is calling you. He's anointing you. Just as Samuel anointed a young man named David, He's calling each and every one of us to walk fully in those purposes. And you might be thinking, well, i got enough on my plate already. Don't we all? Don't we all? But don't walk past the God-appointed opportunities that He's putting in front of you every day. It might be a Goliath. It might be some situation much smaller than that. But God has prepared them beforehand for you to walk in. Here's the cool thing. I talked a moment ago, and this is where we're going to stop, about youth being almost like it feels like a negative thing a little bit, right? I'm inexperienced. I haven't, you know, I don't, I'm not ready for certain things in my life just yet. And that might be true. But here's the other thing. Being young also brings energy, hope, new perspectives. Young people come with new perspectives an open mind and heart, you, when you come from that perspective, you're in the best possible place for God to use you. It's kind of what the Bible, and Jesus says this many times over, refers to as having faith like a child. Right? Now you might call that being naive. Children are naive. They don't know the world. And they don't. And they shouldn't. They shouldn't be exposed to too much too soon. But their hearts are soft. Their hearts are open. Their minds are open to who they can be in God and who God wants them to be in the world. And so God challenges us to have faith like a child. But here's the thing about faith like a child. A child, I, I got two of them. A child does not develop faith overnight. 
It's a thousand, a million little ordinary moments in their lives where they learn to trust those that they are in the care of, in particular their parents, right? Maybe not so much their siblings. Anybody got siblings? You can't always trust your siblings. My two are like fighting all the time. But, um, but faith like a child, it's not just something like, well, I'm young and so I just magically have it. Or I should just have it because that people tell me I should have it, right? I'll just go to church. You just, you just believe, you know, turn your mind off. No, we don't believe that in Chi Alpha at all. Ask your questions. Have your doubts. Engage your mind and your heart. But ultimately, let your heart be soft and open to the things of God and then chase after the things in the heart of God. And not only will the miraculous happen in your life, you never know what will turn the corner from day to day and moment to moment in your life or how God might use someone else to do that for you. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much that when we feel insignificant, when we feel like we don't matter, when we feel like you don't see us, you know exactly where we are. You know exactly who we are. You know the condition of our heart, even when we put a good front on when it's hurting and it's tired. And you call us to yourself and you lift us up and you strengthen us through your word, through your presence, through your people. Lord, I pray for all of us in this room and those that couldn't make it tonight, Lord. May we not go through today, tomorrow, or whatever days we get alone or feeling like nobody cares. I pray that you would intersect people in their lives, Lord. Send them Samuels to not only call out the purposes and the destinies in their lives, but to stand with them and encourage them in this moment at this time. So, Lord, we pray that tonight in Jesus' amazing and mighty name. Amen.